Welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Strahan. Hey, it's Odie Strahan, and I'm having one of the most amazing days of my life. Hopefully you are too. Let's get this show started. What's going on? What's going on? Welcome to another episode of Straight Talk with Strahan. Guys, I'm excited, fired up about today's episode. Uh, this gentleman, his story has been featured on the on People, Steve Harvey Show, NBC, ABC, just to name a few. There's a photo of him standing on the cord that was front page of the San Francisco Chronicle that was placed on the top 75 most iconic photos in the 21st century. He's the founder of the Kevin Barthia Foundation and is a suicide survivor and prevention advocate. He also has a phenomenal sports background. He flourished in sports growing up, which we we're going to get into. So just a lot to, lot, lot to get into with, with our guest today. Just really excited and honored to have him on the podcast to get into his backstory, his amazing story itself, and to discuss the vision he has for his foundation and the impact he's making all over the world. So uh, without further ado, Kevin Berthier, are you out there, brother? I'm here, man. Loud and clear. Can you hear me? Absolutely, man. Well, hey, got a lot of stuff I want to get into. Uh, you know, your story's truly, truly phenomenal. Um, you know, I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right into it. But before we get into it, I... I, I I, I'm honored. I just want to thank you for being on the podcast today. Man, I appreciate that. Likewise, man. Thank you for the opportunity, man. Anytime I get the opportunity to share my story, I appreciate it, man. I'm grateful for it. Absolutely, man. Well, let's get right into it, man. So before we really get into the thick of your story, let's talk about uh, Kevin, the athlete, man. So growing up, talk to me about the sports that you played, you know, uh, you know, throughout your you know, adolescence and, and, and throughout high school. I was a very active kid. Um, my mom figured out early in life that I, I, I required a sport that would need a lot of running. Uh, we learned that early. So my first sport that I learned how to play was soccer. Um, ironically, um, growing up in Oakland, California, most kids weren't playing soccer. Um, so it was just it was just one of those sports I kind of loved because it's just I used to love to run. So um, that was the first sport I played. And then of course, you know, you, you get into basketball because that's what everybody plays. So I learned basketball and then you know, I took a I took an interest in swimming. Uh, it was something about um, growing up at the boys' club, learning how to swim, um, having to take a test to get in the deep end. Though going back in those days, I I grew a liking to swimming. Um, so I started to swim. You know, got on the swim team, um, ran track. Um, you know, uh, played played baseball. Um, so it was like growing up, I literally had five different sports I played, and I didn't play football until until my uh, sophomore year in high school. So. Uh, you know, I was very active in sports growing up, very active. That's amazing, man. So when I told people that you were a phenomenal athlete and you played all sports, you literally played all sports because, you know, it's crazy these days because, you know, I, I have a 14 year old that plays ball. He's been playing since well, he, he's similar to you. He was really good at all the sports. But, you know, these days you have to pick a sport, uh, you know, a lot earlier, unfortunately. And so um, I, I coach AU basketball. He's been he's been playing for some time. But I love hearing stories like what you just said, you mentioned, how you're able to really uh, diversify, the, you know, the different different, you know, activities that you're able to participate in. Let me ask you this. Amongst all those sports that you mentioned, uh, which one did you truly love? Not necessarily the one you were the best at. If I, you know, you could ask that, answer that too. Which one were you the best at? And then which one did you love? Because I asked that because a lot of people might be confused. Yeah, it's but a difference. There's, yeah, there's a difference. Yeah. So talk to yeah, me. It's a big difference. Soccer, soccer was probably um, what I was best at, uh, but basketball is what I love. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't breathe without basketball, man. 
it, it's something about it. I, I, I just, you know, it's just something. I mean, you know, as a, as you as a coach, you know, man, this stuff, you know, it's just something about it that's that's just that's just phenomenal. Um, and it's just it's just, you know, it's something about basketball that just it's just you know, it, it 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 you breathe it. It's something that it motivates you. You get up. It's just you live it. And um, um, I was a phenomenal soccer player. Um. And I don't think I realized how good I was until I stopped playing, until I looked back and realized how great or how great I could have been if I really um, probably applied myself. No, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And you know what? I think, you know, uh, soccer, you know, with the footwork, it goes hand in hand with basketball. In fact, I always see a lot of the top, you know, basketball players at one point or another, you know, they played soccer. A lot of them started off with soccer. And as you know, footwork is, is critical to, be, to being successful on the court on the basketball court. So I, I actually do love the fact when I, you know, I have, uh, well, on my team currently, the multi-sports uh, players I have is actually with baseball, but I always do enjoy bringing in soccer players because I know that footwork, it, you know, is on point. Um, when it comes to this, when it comes to, you know, soccer, basketball, these other sports, were you able to carry any of them into high school? Absolutely. Um, when I got to high school, um, um, I, it was pretty much a bias thing for um, for basketball. It's kind of like a friend of the program. You kind of had to know people. So I just, I just, I, I, I didn't play my basketball until my senior year. My tenth grade year, when I got to high school, everybody was playing football. So I tried out for football only because everybody was playing. I really didn't have a desire to play football, but because all my friends were playing. Um, I, I just decided to play. And the reason why I didn't have a desire to play football is because my mom, I had one of those moms growing up who didn't want me to get hurt. So I didn't play Pop Warner football. So I didn't really have a liking to it until 10th grade year. And, you know, I got out there with the guys and, you know, I ended up being a starter um, my, my, my 10th grade year um, as, as wide receiver. And um, so I played uh, basketball in high school. I played football in high school. I played soccer in high school. Um, I should have went out for the baseball team, but by the time I got to fifth, by the time I, my last year playing baseball was about 15 and I just, I just didn't play anymore. I was great enough to play. I just kind of just didn't play. It's just, I don't know. It's just one of those things you just, you know, it was just one of those things I didn't pick up anymore. Gotcha, man. Gotcha. And uh, during, I mean, first of all, that's awesome that you were able to carry that on and be able to participate in so many sports in high school. Like, I always tell these kids, like, if you can, and, you know, all these kids are always so quick to want to, you know, grow up so fast. Like, trust me, you know, these middle school, high school years, especially with sports, if you're an athlete, these are these are actually the things that you are the most memorable. These are the things that you you, you still talk about. Even me as a grown man, yeah. I'm still talking to my old teammates about specific games and, you know, and plays. You know, you remember type of, that type of stuff. Did you have any uh, specific, uh, you know, moments? It doesn't matter which sport it is that really stood out when it comes to your high school career. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, man. Um. Probably senior year, um, basketball, um, being able to go play in, um, in uh, Fresno at the Clovis West tournament. Um, that was – I think I'll never forget that uh, just because that tournament was a big-time tournament and uh, uh, just being able to get out there. Um, I graduated the same year as Tyson Chandler and uh, Deshaun Stevenson. So uh, being able to see those guys live, man, I mean, you know, that was – I mean, you hear about them on, on TV and, you know, to actually be able to see a seven-footer um, for the first time live uh, my senior year that was that was something I'll never forget um, yeah that was a spotlight of my career like they're just being able to be in that building and watching um, Dominguez Hills play back then uh, just watching that top tier basketball was something that was phenomenal for me 
Absolutely, man. Clovis, uh, you know, uh, Fresno in general has a lot, lot, lot of top basketball players. You know, Tyson Chandler able to make the leap right into the NBA. Obviously, mm-hmm. Deshaun, uh, Deshaun had, had you know, a great career as well, uh, you know, throughout, you know, multiple teams. But um, no, and, and, and even to this day, um, I know Deshaun had, you know, some, I mean, he still puts on some uh, AU programs out coming out of Fresno mm-hmm. uh, and, and, you know, some powerhouses, you know, so you mm-hmm. definitely, those are definitely some big dogs, man. Right on, man. Well, like I said, before we get, we, we got to your story, I just wanted to, like I said, talk to talk about you as the athlete. Cause like I said, I, I, I noticed, you, you know, you were prominent in multiple sports, oh, man. Yeah, so, man. Big time, big time. It, just mentally. Yeah. I just never, I never, like, I didn't play, like I tell people all the time, I didn't play sports. Um, to become pro I, I mentally I just I played because I needed it and I didn't realize how great I was absolutely and, and, and like many times uh, which you know, we'll probably get into later on is you know it's your ex- escape everybody has a different escape and 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 you know me working with the youth I, I see it a lot of times you know where these kids you know they're really good but they're really good, you know, at, you know, in basketball, in my case specifically, they're really good, but I, I know deep inside getting to know these kids and, and building that relationship. The reason why they're in the gym so much is because they don't want to be at home, you know, and yeah, it's their, yeah. out, it's their, it's their outlet. And, uh, and it's something that they're able to take out their frustrations and it's kind of, it, you know, that turn that negativity into a positivity, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely get it, man. Well, listen, I mean, I want to get into this story of yours, uh, you know, um, it's truly amazing. Uh, I think, I think uh, obviously the audience is going to be, you know, in for a treat, um, uh, when it comes to, you know, hearing the ups and downs of adversity and, and really, you know, r- really what has, you know, become of Kevin Berthier. Uh, let's get into it though. So, uh, you know, your story has inspired, you know, thousands and probably hundreds of thousands of people out there. And, you know, I know, like I had mentioned at the intro, you've been, you know, featured on major magazine outlets, national news. Uh, but let's start off with your backstory growing up, you know, so people really, you know, could understand your story. Talk to me, uh, you know, about your, you know, er, you know, the early age, uh, you know, you know, maybe you're, you know, when, when growing up, you know, growing up, you know, where are you from and, and kind of get the backstory. Gotcha. Um, I grew up, I grew up, um, first of all, I was adopted. A lot of people, uh, I have to mention that because a lot of people don't know that. A lot of people that when I grew up with really didn't realize and know that. Um, because it was kind of it's something you really didn't talk about. So um, I was adopted at six months old um, by African American family. Um, I have I had two older sisters um, who um, who are about seven and nine years apart from me. Um, um, pretty basic upbringing. Um, raised uh, predominantly in a church. I grew up in Oakland, California, which is a predominantly African American community. Um, you know, you you you're around. Uh, um, you know, you know, wasn't I, I really didn't didn't see too many other cultures outside of you know the culture that that I that was around. Um, um, just just like straight, you know, hardworking people, um, uh, straight to the point. A lot of people that just didn't talk about problems. Um, um, I really didn't see emotions growing up as a as a as a man. I, I mean, from a man uh, growing up as a boy, I never really you know saw men have emotions or really you know um, you know talk about their emotions. So I really never really saw a man talk about their emotions. So I kind of got to the idea of understanding that, you know, it was something that men are supposed to do. We're supposed to be supposed to just keep things in, kind of just deal with it on our own. Um, you know, that, you know, that, you know, from zero to 13, you know, that was pretty much my upbringing. I had the same, um, same, you know, between playing five sports and going to practice, going to school, it was pretty, and going to church. Um, th- that was my life. I, you know, uh, I had the same life. I had the same, it was the same thing every single day. And, um, you know, like I say, you know, everything didn't change until after 13 when my parents divorced. So my childhood, um, 
same thing every day, get up, go to school, um, get out of school, go to practice. After practice, go to the boys club. After boys club, it's, it's another practice. Um, games are Friday, Saturday, um, church all day Sunday. Um, between Sunday school, um, going to visit another church and coming back, I have a church at night. So I had a schedule, um, you know, all the way up until my parents divorced. That was pretty much my schedule growing up. Yeah, it sounded like a, a, a very, you had structure, that's for sure. As structure, yep. uh, very organized. Just to let you know, uh, uh, I could definitely relate to you when it comes to uh, not seeing, you know, men really sharing emotion. I, uh, I, I have a, my dad's my hero. I'm a mama's boy, so I've been very fortunate to have, you know, great parents. Uh, my dad's a mil military, 21 years in the Air Force. Uh, but early on, you know, I, you know, my dad's one of the toughest dudes ever. You know, <laughs> he's uh, he's Superman to me, um, uh, but never really showed too much emotion. You know, uh, very, you know, very even keel, very stoic. Uh, um, and it wasn't really till, you know, as I got older, actually even out of the house till I really saw him having you know different emotions still to this day obviously one of the coolest cats you're ever gonna meet he just stays cool calm but uh but he you know as you know as we maturated in in, in our father-son relationship i started seeing more of that emotional side which was a positive thing it wasn't a negative thing by any means but but i, but I hear you because you know to an extent me i'm the baby of the family and uh <laughs> you know i have my i have my you know my, my ways you know and so without mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I, just like you alluded to uh, I didn't really know a lot of times if, you know, that the emotion showing that type of emotion was, was okay, you know, cause I never, never saw it. So I definitely, when you said that, I just want to let you know, I could definitely, you know, relate to that. Uh, but it sounded like uh, definitely up until that, like you said, until you were 13, um, it was a very, very structured, uh, you know, upbringing and you had, you know, you had structure and you stayed busy is what it sounds like. I didn't have time to really feel about, really care about how I felt. I mean, only time I really struggled was at night. Every single night I struggled, but I always kept that to myself. And I always felt like as long as I struggle at night and nobody in the world knows, then that's okay with me. And, you know, if you know, I did struggle at every single night, I struggled going to bed and waking up in the middle of the night and waking up in the morning. Those were my struggles, but I felt like I always kept that to myself and nobody knew about it. So it was okay with me. Yeah, I mean, and I can see that because obviously, you know, you're moving and shaking and moving all through, you know, all throughout the rest of that schedule. The times that you you just mentioned were really the only times where you're by yourself, you know, alone, where you were able to have those thoughts. Uh, talk yep. to me about growing up in a household uh, with, you know, with your, you know, adoptive parents and your siblings. Uh, you know, it sounded like I said, it sounded like it was, it, it was it, you know, pretty, you know, positive for you. You know, how was that up until, you know, like you said, up until they, they divorced? Yeah, everything was, I mean, we were a family. I mean, you know, we, 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 we vacationed, we went to places like my, my parents took me, took me places. Like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was very well taken care of. I was very well loved um, and, 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 and very well valued. Um, and in that everything was hidden because I was, you know, loved and, um, so yeah, growing up was, you know, I had two older sisters, uh, who were always attentive to me, um, you know, because I was the youngest and only, only boy. So, um, you know, I just, it was just always, it worked, everything always worked in my favor. I got my own room. They shared a room. Um, so it's just, like I say, I had, a, I, I didn't realize, I honestly didn't realize until about a year, a year ago, how great my childhood was because I've been through so much outside of that childhood that I didn't realize how great my childhood was. Um, 
you know, outside of the, you know, at night and waking up in the morning and, you know, kind of getting, as I got up every morning and I felt worthless and I hated, I hated who I was, but as I transitioned and got through, through getting up and now I had to go catch the bus. I had to go, as I got through the day, I, I didn't, I didn't take the time. I didn't have time to think about it until I got still again. So as long as I kept moving and that was my thing, as long as I kept moving. So I had a, I had a, a really great, um, um, support system and great childhood. I had a grandfather who I idolized, who was, um, I always spent a lot of time with him. He, he was my, 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 my rock to God. He was the, my first, the man that I, that really, I really saw as a man who was a strong figure and had a strong relationship with God. So I was introduced to God early in life, um, real early in life. So I had a relationship with God real early. Um, so Amen. yeah. Gotcha, man. Well, talk to me about this. I know, uh, I know there's been in the past where you, you talked about, uh, you know, having anxiety when it comes to, uh, the graduation, you know, process, uh, you know, when, whether it be graduating, I think maybe yourself specifically, but also just in general, when you're talking about, you know, some of the parents should be looking out, you know, when it comes to the kids, uh, when kids go through the graduating, whether it's from kindergarten to middle school, middle school, you know, to, to high school and so forth. Uh, talk to me about, you know, some of the things that you, you experience and just in general, uh, you know, how you feel about that. And maybe something that parents should be looking at as, as kids transition, you know, from one to the other. Every, every grade is a transition. And I think we miss it. We, we get so excited um, about the transition that we forget that the work that has to come in. Um, kids are, the first day of school are scared. They have anxiety on 100. They're all over the place. But as the year progresses, they get better because they get more comfortable. But they get more comfortable because they get used to the routine of, 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 of what they're doing on an everyday basis. So when we take that routine away and now we're now we have to get used to another routine that's another level of anxiety so each year we need to be pouring into our kids as they transition especially as we transition from when it changes to school you know elementary to junior high junior high to high school i struggled um elementary to high school be, uh, elementary to junior high because that was a big transition in its own because my the environment of my school completely changed and my environment of how I was living completely changed. So everything got flip-flopped all in one year. Um, then my transition from leaving high school where I, I was leaving the structure of what I got used to of going to school every day, going to practice. You know, when you leave high school, you can't play five sports. So how, how am I gonna be busy? How am I gonna, how am I gonna keep up with this busy lifestyle in order to not think about how I feel about myself? So I think that I think that we have to be be mindful that. That, that our kids have something more beyond just sports, something more beyond just, just busy work. They have to have things that, that, that really are solid, hold solid foundation in their heart, things that they really care about. There's certain things that your kid may love that's beyond sports. And that's where we have to find that love and that for something else, because um, we, we all know how sports is. It comes and it goes. There is a time when the sports you can't, you, you're, you're unable to perform or something happens or we have to build on a bigger passion. Um, so I think that the transition of, of watching your kids every single day and, and, being, and being able to ask the questions beyond, is everything okay? You have to ask questions beyond that. Why is everything okay? You have to make sure they know that, you're, that, 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 you're, that you value what they think, that you value what they're going through. Um, you can't afford to lose that relationship. Um, 
you know, uh, it's vital now more than ever with, with, with the pandemic that kids are separating and, 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 and they're coming up with their own things to do. And it's just like, we need to come back together and they need to understand that, 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 that they're valuable and that, that, that you can, and that you're there for them. They can't make these decisions on their own. So, um, yeah, that was a big transition. The transition definitely leaving high school was one of the hardest transitions. That all makes perfect sense. And like you said, that has definitely came out to to the light a lot more than other times because with the pandemic, there were so many sports, like including my kids, there there wasn't basketball for a long time. You know, you know, my son personally, you know, stayed active. We he was fortunate enough to, you know, still have places to go play. But, you know, um, and a lot of people struggled, you know, mental health, you know, with these kids, uh, you know, it took a toll. And, and, and it exposes ugly self, you know, last year because because of everything that was going on. So um, I agree 150 percent with you, uh, when, you know, when it comes to that. Talk to me about when, uh, you know, unfortunately, when a divorce happened with your with your parents, uh, how was life looking for you? I mean, you know, were you able to still, uh, you know, spend time with with both your mom, or your dad, or did you end up having to you know, stay with one or the other? Man, life completely changed um, everything in my life. Complete, everything, everything in my life completely changed. Every every emotion that I didn't feel. When my parents divorced, I felt adopted. It was the first time in my life that I felt adopted. It was the first time in my mm. life that 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 the emotions of being adopted were right there in my face because everything changed. I didn't realize how important, how how much I was showered in this relationship of love because when my parents divorced, everybody was hurt everybody dealt with it differently and nobody took the time to check on me. I was the youngest. Um, everybody dealt with it their, their own separate way. My mom processed it her way as being a wife and mother. Um, she processed it as, you know, cause she had to divorce my dad. So she processed it totally different way. My dad processed it a totally different way than all of us. My sisters processed it a totally different way. I processed it. So it was like when in all that, everything was lost and, my my the life that I had grown accustomed to was completely changed. My my I lost my dad, my 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 first coach. Um, I lost, you know, I lost my dad in a divorce, and that was probably the hardest thing because you know I love my dad. We had we had a, such a great relationship, and our relationship has never been the same since the divorce. And you know, I had to make a decision as the only boy. Yeah, I had to be the one go with my dad, and that was tough because. Um, you know, my, my mom's relationship, my, the, the life with my mom and my dad was balanced and structured. My life with my dad, I know, was not going to be balanced and structured. I was going to have to, you know, you know, I never had to worry about what I, what I was going to eat at night, you know? Like, that, that's something I never had to worry about with my mom and my dad together. But just being with my dad, I had to probably not wonder if I was going to eat, what I was going to eat, where I was going to eat it from. It was just so many different things changed in my life. You know, I went from home cooked meal to eating at a liquor store. I mean, it was just the dynamics of so many. You don't realize, you know, how kids live on a day to day basis, the structures of how it, you know, deals with their well-being and their mental health based on their environment they live in. Because I had I got to live in both environments. And, you know, because of that, I understand why the kids that I were where it was around in junior high, why they were so angry probably, or why they were dealing with so many different emotions. Cause 
maybe they didn't eat last night or maybe maybe they didn't have a home cooked meal last night or maybe they didn't have somebody that checked on them and, and and hugged them or loved them last night and we get on these kids and we 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 don't understand that these kids they don't they don't have that person that's coming to them and and that they can confide into and it's really checking on them and and it's just all that was lost and you know my mom did her best to try to do what she could but it was it was I, I was rebellious because I wanted to be with my dad like I wanted both I didn't understand how to pick both like it was it was a dope it was a very difficult transition and I blamed myself for the divorce I didn't have the ability then to to be old enough to say well you know parents just don't get along I looked at my mom and I looked at my dad and I, I just didn't understand the underlining issue because I couldn't see it as a kid you don't see it you know and I just looked at my dad as the greatest man on earth and my mom the greatest woman on earth like how could this not work um, it had to be me, like, you know, because my mom wanted to adopt a boy, maybe my dad felt like he had to overcompensate financially. I mean, it was so many different things I thought about, but I blamed myself, and that was difficult for me to do. Hey, quick break here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we'll get right back to it. When it comes to your CBD, quality matters. For all natural relief, visit SimpleGardenCBD.com. If 2020 taught us anything, it's how important our mental and physical health is. Simple Garden CBD specializes in third-party lab-tested, premium-quality CBD products that deliver consistent potency and purity you can count on. Utilizing industry-best extracting methods and ingredients, Simple Garden CBD is proof that not all CBD is created equal. Go check out their amazing lineup of premium CBD vapes, great-tasting full-spectrum, and THC-free tincture oils, as well as their delicious Delta 8 gummies that are absolutely amazing. And don't forget, they also carry some of the latest vape battery technology and designs on the market. So shop now at SimpleGardenCBD.com and use discount code STRAYHAND15 and save 15% on your order. That's right, I said it. Save 15% on your order using discount code STRAYHAND15. Get your order in now and experience the amazing benefits of premium quality CBD for yourself. Add Simple Garden CBD to your health and wellness regimen today. Real CBD, real results. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, and that's one thing, especially with kids, because unfortunately, they're the innocent bystander a lot of times when it comes to divorces, right? Uh, you, you have a household, like in your case specifically, that was so structured. And, you know, like you said, you had a great childhood. Um, and something like that lit literally, like literally changes, uh, you know, these kids' lives overnight. Like literally, you know, and, 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 you know, it's, it's tough because at the end of the day, you know, the, the, you know, married couples are trying to do what's best for them. Uh, you know, if it's not working out, it is what it is, but it's just a very tough situation. Um, you know, no matter what to, you know, to find, to, to be able to transition out of that and still provide as close or similar to a lifestyle as they had together. But, you know, but you and I both know that it's a lot more challenging that way. Right. And then, then you add in the other factors, like you said, the fact that, you know, your mom, uh, you know, really wanted, you know, a, a boy and, you know, and, and, and the adoption and it just, uh, you know, uh, added elements to it. Let me ask you this then, uh, uh, before we transition, one thing on that is, so at, at that point, uh, you know, what kind of, a, from an emotional standpoint, I mean, I could obviously could imagine what you're going through, but, uh, because I know you and I had talked, you know, prior to this recording and, um, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, countless times you had, you had, you know, attempted suicide, you know, I think you, you correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you said it was 22 times total or what have you mm -hmm. at, 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 at that point was, was, was that 
at, at, at that particular time, was that one of those times where, you know, uh, one of those attempts happened or is that when things really you started going to that extent? Absolutely. Uh, up until 13, I always had voices in my head. I always, but I was always in control of them. I was always in control of everything that would tell me to do bad stuff to myself or everything that told me that I needed to die or everything that, I, every emotion that made me feel like I, I hated myself or I was always in control of it. Like, like after the divorce, I wasn't in control of it anymore. And, you know, that's when, you know, at 14, like literally was my first time where I acted on, acted on anything. And, you know, then once I figured, once I figured out that I can act on it and I can really control whether or not I lived or not, that's when a whole nother door was open. And, you know, and then that's when I started, you know, going down the avenue of really looking into trying to figure out how to get myself off this, you know, get myself out of pain. Like, as well, I look at, I didn't really look at it as pain. I just didn't want to live. Like, I, I, I did not want to live in a world. Uh, every day of my life, I never wanted to live. But what kept me grounded is I had this family. And I always felt like, wow, like, you know, like, I, I hate that myself. I hate looking in the mirror. I hate everything about myself. But I got this family, you know, that loves me. And it's just like, that was my, you know, and it was just like, when I lost that, it was just like, well, why am I around? That's when I started questioning, you know, because every single day of my life, I always questioned, I had that thought, like, well, how did somebody give birth to me and just give me up? Like, so at 13, that question was like, like, I needed an answer to that question when my parents divorced. Like, I needed an answer to that. I had to have an answer. And they tormented me every single night when I didn't have it. Gotcha, man. No, I mean, and I, and especially, you know, given your, your situation, um, you know, that obviously added, you know, to the struggle that you were, you know, already having prior, uh, let's transition. Let's get into 2005 when, uh, at the age of 22, um, you know, which is this aspect of your story has been, you know, well-documented, uh, that you attempted to take your own life by jumping off the, the golden gate bridge, uh, Talk to me about, you know, obviously, pretty, you know, definitely extreme, um, you know, measures there. Talk to me at that point, you know, what events or what event or events happened that led you to that point? Yeah, man, I woke up March 11, 2005, and everything in my life that I haven't took the time to deal with, which was everything, um, the adoption, the divorce, how I felt about myself, everything. I mean, all, every event in my life that caused me painful moments, which were a lot, like I just, up until that point, I just, I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't deal with any of it. And that morning I woke up and I felt it all in one day and I couldn't suppress any of it. And I couldn't motivate myself that day. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't, like, I just, I didn't have, it was the first day I was completely out of control. And you know, and I told myself that I had to get myself out of pain. Um, up until that point, um, I had attempted already, um, you know, about about nine or 10 times. And I was just tired of being a, a failure at that. So I had to figure out something that was going to work. And I got up that morning. I didn't even know nothing about the bridge. Um, didn't even know it existed. Didn't even know it was iconic to suicide attempts, which makes, you know, that's why I tell my story. And, I, and it even makes my story even more you know, even when I talk about it, it's still, I still shake my head because I literally, my first time on the, like literally going to the Golden Gate Bridge, my first time 
at the Golden Gate Bridge. Like I never even been to the place before, never in my life. So um, it was just one of those things that, you know, I, I literally was trying to figure out how to end, end my life. Um, I was pumping the gas. Um, as soon as the pump stopped and clicked, my brain clicked and said, Golden Gate Bridge, just like that. I don't know where it came from. I didn't do any searching or anything like that ahead of time. It was just like, I didn't even know how to get there. And this is 2005, so I didn't have like Google Maps or anything on my phone. I was just banking on asking for directions. But in that, I was hoping that whoever I asked for directions would look at me and maybe ask me why I wanted to go to the Golden Gate Bridge. Because the part of me that wanted to live wanted to talk about why we wanted to live. Um, and, and I was hoping that, you know, I asked the directions got, you know, got on my way. I got to the, to the Bay Bridge and I asked the toll keeper, um, you know, she never even looked at me really, you know, she just gave me directions, never gave me eye contact and kind of kindly, you know, put me on my way. And after that, it was just like, you know, okay, I knew I was on my way. Um, got directions, got on my way, got lost, which, which added a whole nother million to my anxiety already. So, you know, I got out there and parked my car and then I, I just basically at that point, I just knew it was over, um, you know, but I still kind of the part of me that wanted to live still was looking for a reason. And that's why, you know, even though the part of me that wanted to die, I left the keys in the ignition and, you know, I left the car right there where it was at. And I got out there and I started walking and I paced for about 15 minutes and I was just looking for a reason not to jump, you know, but I couldn't find one. Um, I just I, I dig deep. I tried to find one. I just couldn't find one. And then I looked over the railing and I realized, well, it was nothing that's going to deter me. And when I looked over there, I actually saw the water. And for the first time in my life, when I looked in that water, I saw the peace that I was looking for. And I know it probably wasn't what people think, but the dark place that I was in, in that mind, in my mind, that peace, when I looked into that water, I saw not having to be a burden. I saw not having to wake up another morning feeling worthless, not having to worry about why you know, somebody can give birth to me and give me up. Like the, like I, it was so many different emotions that I told myself I didn't have to worry about anymore that I was convinced that that water was my peace. And I took a couple steps back and I braced myself for impact. As I started to get, I literally jumped in the air. Um, and I'm an athletic guy, man. I tell people all the time, man, you know, being <laughs> athletic, me being athletic is the reason what saved me, you know, like I was, you know, I'm I'm barely touching five nine, and I I've been dunking since tenth grade, you know. So I, I literally jumped over the railing, and as I'm in the air, I heard a voice, and that voice I don't know what was said. He don't know even know what was said. We go through this back and forth, you know, a hundred million times, and we don't know exactly what was said. But it's not what was said. It was it was how it was said, and how it was said was enough for me to get. It was a distraction enough for me to get in that dark place that I was in, and I kind of heard it. And it was like, you know, I grabbed the railing and I put myself on this cord and now I'm on this cord and, you know, I'm upset and I'm angry because I already, I, I braced myself for water. I knew I, I, it's a piece in my heart now because I know I don't have to live this lie no more, man. And, and, and now I'm on this ledge and, 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 and I don't know what's going on. Like my brain, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And, and this voice is still trying to talk to me. So we go back and forth for about 10 minutes and I'm yelling at him. I'm telling him to get back. You know, my, my feet are pointed up. You know, people seeing that photo. I mean, you know, I'm not holding on. My arms and neither arm is holding on to the railing. I don't want to be on that rail. And it's like, you know, I'm really trying to my best to just nudge back. But 
something it's like a weight that's kind of pushed up against me from behind I don't you know it's like the wind I don't know what it is but it's keeping me on that ledge long enough to where you know something inside of me you know just said why do you even care on the inside because this man this voice you know it just it wouldn't go away and it wasn't like you know um making me feel like I was stupid like I was making myself feel like I was stupid for being on his railing he was like talking to me like I was an individual and you know, something about it got me enough to where he was able to get close enough to me. And we went on and started to have a conversation. And truth be told, like when people see that photo, I can't even believe I stayed on that ledge that long. But for 96 minutes, we stayed on that. I stayed on that ledge 220 feet in the air um, with traffic at a standstill, um, thousands of people out there, so many different things going on. And we and me and, and my first responder um, I never looked up, kept my head down the whole time. Um, I never knew he was a cop, never knew he was white, never knew anything about him. I just knew that it was a voice of compassion that I needed to hear and that he was willing to listen. And literally for 96 minutes, I stayed out there. For 92 minutes, he listened to every word I said. And I started at a, at the age of five when the voice just started going on in my head. And I worked myself all the way up to the current day, which was when I was 22 years old. So he literally learned about 17 years of my pain, things, everything that I want to tell my biological mom, everything I want to tell my biological dad, everything I want to tell my adoptive mom, adoptive dad, everything I've been wanting to tell coaches, the reason why I've been angry, everything I want to tell teammates, cousins, you know, I've been living this lie to the world and he learned my pain in that, and, and because he just took the time to just literally compassionately listen to me. He didn't interrupt me. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he literally like listened for that whole complete time. And after that time frame, he literally took out a key component of that story of everything that I told him because he could have took the adoption. He could have took the divorce. He could have took a numerous of the things of the things that I told him. He knew that he had to link to something and that was going to bring me back over that, over that rail. And, and, and it was my daughter, me being a failure as a father. That was the reason why I was over that rail. And and the only thing that was going to bring me back was the idea of understanding that I could have another chance at her. And he made me realize her birthday, which is April 6th, which is a month after I went to the bridge, you got to be here for her first birthday. I would have missed her first birthday if I would have ended up, you know, jumping off that bridge and, and, and being successful. I would have missed her first birthday. You know, she'll be, you know, 17, um, you know, coming up in a couple of days. And I would have missed all that, um, she, you know, and that's just it's just, that's just a part of life that's just, it's just, when I look back on that time, it's just, I just literally, people just need to be heard. That's it. That, uh, that, that's absolutely amazing. So, you know, you, like you had mentioned, you went down there, obviously all foreign to you, right? You get there, the toll late, the toll lady, you know, doesn't, you know, pay you too much mind. And the whole time there, the really, the I mean, the, the the key, the thing that stands out in all, everything that I just heard and what you just, uh, you know, articulated, what you just want to be heard. You just wanted someone yeah. to hear you out. So, uh, and we'll get into uh, the gentleman, uh, the you know, the CHP officer that you're referring to. But as you get to the bridge, um, and you know, you look, you're looking down on the bridge here. Obviously, with the at that time the intent that you had, you know, from a, from a, from a mental standpoint, at that point, you, as you, as you said, you saw it as peace, you know, the, the, the water, you know, uh, 
when you when you were on the other side there, what you know from the time that you heard the voice, you know, what actually stopped you though from even at that point from jumping though? I mean, was there something at that point where you know was there you know in last minute thoughts there? You know, you're already there. And no, I was just getting that stuff off my chest. It's just literally getting that stuff yeah. out. I mean, that stuff was weighing me down. I mean, he learned about stuff that I've never said or talked about to anybody in the world. So you got to realize how powerful of a conversation this had to be. When yeah, I never, I never talked about, I've never, March 11, 2005 was the first day that I talked about any of my problems in my whole entire life. Because wow. even when I went to counseling, I, I, I didn't talk about my, like, even when I was a couple of, I had a couple of attempts that they forced me to go to counseling. I never talked about really anything. I've always just said what needed to be said. And that's what people do. They say what needs to be said. They never get to the interior of what they really, really want to say and how they really feel. They just say what you, what's, what's appeasing to you because they know you're only going to ask this much of a question. And I know this answer is going to get you enough. And that's going to be enough for you because that's we right. don't, we don't, we don't press because people's lives don't matter until we lose them. And we got to get better. Deep. We got to get better. We got to get better. We got to press now because we can't press. I've, I've watched too many loved ones and people have loved ones. They just can't feel it because they're not pressing hard enough. And we got to, we got to, we got to, we got to like stop telling ourselves not to press and press because we know, we, 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 we know how hard it is to lose a loved one. Like if anybody has lost a loved one, you know how hard that is. So knowing that you can be possibly a, a, a outlet for an individual that, 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 that to where their family doesn't have to feel like this. It's like, we all have a responsibility, you know, we do. So talk to me specifically, uh, you know, when it, it's hopefully it's okay to say his name, you know, there's obviously he's been documented, Kevin Briggs, the CHP, uh, you know, officer that, that, that you were referring to, uh, once he started talking to you, like you said, you initially, you know, you you were, you were, you, you were screaming at him, you know, uh, did he say anything at that point to, you know, obviously have you continued that conversation or was it just literally like, when you say he was sitting there hearing you out, he literally just sat there and, and he was just there to hear you out. Was there anything that, that he, he exchanged on his part, uh, while you were telling him, you know, your, your story, he didn't say no. listen if he would have interrupted i wouldn't have been here wow i needed i needed to say i needed i needed to get it all out if i would have been in it in his, in his I, I don't know how for that long traffic was at a standstill i don't know how for that long something it's like everything stayed at a, at a it's like it all that needed to get out it had to get out and i don't know how so i'm telling you you know, I tell the story, you know, as much as I could tell it, but the more I tell it, the more I'm unbelievable. It's unbelievable even to me. It's crazy because I'm just like, literally, he just sat there and listened. Like, he didn't say anything. Like, it all came out. And as, as much as I can get out in that time frame, I got out as much as I can get out. And as much as I can get out, when I, when I, when I, when I stopped, that's when he, you know, kind of elaborated on about my daughter. And then, you know, you know, one thing led to another in it, but he literally, sat there never not didn't say yeah yeah nothing it was complete nothing it was silence it was like the it was like the thousands of people that were out there didn't even exist wow that, that that's truly amazing um 
Talk to me about that moment, though, when he was able to, you know, get you on the other side. Um, you know, when he did bring up your, your daughter's birthday. Uh, talk to me about those moments before, you know, like essentially he was able to, you know, say, help save you. Yeah. I mean, everything, everything inside of me is just like, Kevin, you know, just do it. All you got to do is do a little nudge back. Like, I mean, I'm still, you know, like I'm, 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 man, come on, man. I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm a, a, a half a foot from, from death, man. Like literally like that, that's just how it is. The reality of it. I've been back to the, to the, to the site. So to know um, I'm that close, um, you know, I'm still, you know, contemplating and still contemplate, but he's, he's reminding me and I'm kind of telling to myself because I know how I feel is still going to exist. Everything of how I exist, everything that brought me to the bridge is still going to exist when I come back. There's not, it's not going to all go away magically. And I know that and I'm processing that as I'm on this, like I'm processing all that. It's just like, I'm really weighing it all out, but it's like, I really, I really want to be there for her. Like I really and and I and that was enough for me, like to really just try to try it again, to try to really just, you know, really just, all right, can we do this again? Because it can be over. Like, like I had to make, I still had to make a decision, even though I got it all out. I still had to make a conscious decision, like somehow, some kind of way, and lift my arms and surrender because, and let them and allow them to pull me up because they still have to pull me up, like. Like, I don't, I don't, I can't just get up on my own. Like, I don't have the strength, uh, you know? So it, 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 in that, I still had to literally just take a couple seconds and think, and think, and, you know, I still was able to make the right decision. Um, um, and, you know, raised my arms up and he, and he risked me up and they put my t-shirt over my face because it was reporters up there taking pictures and things like that. So, um, yeah. Oh man, it's truly, like I said, truly, truly, you know, remarkable, uh, you know, amazing that, you know, uh, it was, he was, you know, the events turned uh, that way from, from, from how it was looking. Talk to me about the road to recovery uh, after that incident, because, you know, uh, as you alluded to, you know, the problems just don't go away. So talk to me about the, you know, the road to recovery after, after the Golden Gate incident. Man, it was... You would think somebody go to the bridge, um, you know, double number, you know, double digit attempt, <laughs> you know, you you had you need to go to outpatient, you know, you need to go therapy, medication. Um, I went to I went to um, San Francisco General a couple hours, and then I went to a psychiatric hospital in Fremont um, about twelve or thirteen days. Got home. And my mom showed me that 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 it was a picture taken of me that made front page of the San Francisco Chronicle, and that that was my first time knowing um, about 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 everything. And I didn't, you know, I I kind of I kind of I'm not saying I didn't know I went to the bridge, but I really didn't know I went to the bridge. Like, um, I didn't know I didn't know all that. I didn't know I drove my I didn't really you know like, you know, like I literally was out of it. Like, you know, prior to that, before that, you know, I stopped eating and sleeping and doing all that. So, you know, to go home and seeing that I was front page of the Chronicle, I literally shut completely down and shut off because when I looked at that picture, I knew that I was exposed. I knew that 
that, you know, I spent my whole life being the life of the party and being the, the, the popular kid that had it all, that, that knew it all, that, you know, that nothing could rock, you know, uh, you know, I was just, you know, people, people saw me as jovial kid, like, you know, I was, I was life, I was the party starter, the party ended, like, that was just me, and to know that, you know, you know, you know, all I kept saying to myself is, you know, who drives itself to the bridge, like, you know, it's just, I knew that I couldn't go back to whoever I created that person to be, that image of who Kevin Berthia was, I couldn't go back to that, so I didn't know who I was now, um, because I couldn't go back to being that person because that person went to the bridge and I didn't go to the bridge and so I denied it and literally I didn't go to therapy I didn't go to any of those things um um I did nothing I lied and I tried to go back to live a regular life and and and, and thought that I would never have to deal with it and um for eight years um in that eight year time frame by the year by by 2013 so two, between 2005 and 2013 um, I had worked up myself by 2013. I had 22 failed suicide attempts. And like, you know, I, I went through so much um, over that process. Uh, my grandfather, my biological grandfather passed away in, in 2005. Um, my, my adoptive grandfather, who was my rock and my key to God and, you know, my, my one source of, of, of everything um, passed away in 2007. Um, custody battle, um, 2008. Um, personal own personal divorce um 2011 i mean i just a culmination of different things and with that came a different you know so many different attempts so many different you know ways of trying to attempt um by 2013 i was all over the place um i told myself that this would provide this was definitely going to be my last year living nobody knew that but i knew that i knew 2013 was going to be that was it um you know i was in i was in a bad relationship um you know i just I wasn't where I wanted to be um, mentally, spiritually, um, no connection to God. And no, no, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't praying. I wasn't reading no Bible for years, over a decade by now. It was just no connection to God. Um, who is that person? Doesn't even, you know, who is he? Who did, I, I, it's just, I was, out, I was out there. And, you know, um, the only thing that saved me is the one thing that saved me at the bridge. And it's crazy, ironically, um, Officer Briggs, my mom wrote Officer Briggs a letter thanking him for saving my life um, um, that day and saying, thank you for being Kevin's guardian. And he kept that letter for eight years. And American Foundation for Suicide Prevention um, um, was honoring Officer Briggs for a Lifesaver Award um, back in 2013. And it was in New York. And they reached out to Officer Briggs and said, well, do you know anybody that can help you present the award? Um, like a survivor, like somebody who you help. And he thought about my mom and because he had that letter. And, you know, my mom reached out to me. She knew, uh, you got to realize something. Um, I've only saw the picture from the bridge up until this point um, twice. One time I saw when I got out of the hospital, my mom showed me from page of Conical. The second time I saw that picture was when, um, um, the um my mother and my kids you uh used it um in a in a case in our in our custody case to to see to show that you know that you know I would I would harm my kids or you know just she used it against me in a derogatory way yeah. and so I've only yeah. used it saw this photo twice in my whole entire life so um um to to 
she knew I wasn't going to deal with this this day. I had already told her years ago that after going to counseling for a couple of years, that I was never dealing with this day. And that, you know, so she kind of convinced me um, to go to New York. She know I don't ask any questions because, um, you know, I didn't have nothing going on in my life. So it's like, you know, to turn down a trip to New York for what? Like, you know, it's just that was just one of those things. So she kind of convinced me, let me know a couple of things. And, you know, she knew I didn't ask any questions. So I got to the opportunity to go to New York, um, got out there. and. Um, I remember the radio station reached out to me and they said, well, we want to interview you about your eight year reunion with your first responder. <laughs> and I said, what? So I called my mom and asked her what, you know, what all this stuff was about. And she said, you're going to meet the man in the picture, Officer Briggs. And I said, you got you to realize I never knew he was a cop. I never knew he was white. We never had any contact. I never knew nothing about this man. Never, never. Like I never put, I never knew that that was the man. I mean, I saw the picture because I only saw the picture twice, but I never connected the picture and knowing it, that the man in the picture was the man that was the voice because I never looked up at him. So she, when she said, you're going to meet the man, I still didn't realize in my head that I was meeting the voice. Like, you know, I thought I was just going to meet the cop who supposedly, so my anxiety was like, you know, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know if I was, you know, he was going, I mean, supposedly he saved me. But I didn't know he was the voice, so I am naturally in my head. I'm thinking he's going to think, you know, what I don't know what he's going to think. So, you know, I get over to the Columbus Circle, and I hear his voice when I shake his hand, and I know it's him. And my, it's like my, That's my, amazing. Heart, my heart shifted, and it was just like that was the voice that saved me. That That's the voice that I remember. And it all made sense to me, and I got in there, and I remember he got up there. Uh, we got in there into this, into the, uh, into the, you know, the room and, you know, everything's all decked out. And I remember sitting at the table and, and he gets up there and he starts to speak and it's this big jumble time behind me. And I'm looking up at the crowd. I'm not looking up at the monitor and the Yahoo documentary goes out and it's the, and, and, um, and I remember the crowd goes, they, they gas, they go <gasps> like, you know, like, you know, and so I'm, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to know, I want to know what they're looking at. So I turn around and it's me. It's the picture of me on the bridge. Now keep in mind, I've only seen this picture probably two times. This is the third time I'm seeing it, but it, as the third time I'm looking at it, it's the first time I'm looking at it and, it, and on the inside, I accepted that it was me in the picture. Like I turned around, I looked at it and literally on this big old jumbotron, it was like I had no, I, I had no way of not accepting it, I think. Like God put me in a situation where it was like, you're going to have to accept it. It's big, your biggest, I mean, it was huge. So it was like, I, you know, I looked up down there and it was just like, I accepted it. And Right before I accepted it, I got that was before I was going up there to speak. And I never talked openly in a room ever before about anything serious in my life, let alone myself. And here I am in a room, you know, 300, almost 400 plus people. And it's just, you know, I'm opening up about everything that brought me to the bridge that day, March 11, 2005. And as I'm talking, I could feel the weights being lifted again, like on that day. And it was just like, I never, for this, the second time in my life where, I'm at a vulnerable point in my life, but I, it's just like, I feel so powerful. And, and I got up off that stage after talking and I remember it was a kind of a line starting to form. And it was, it was a lady in line um, at my table, uh, near my table. And she walked up to me and she was, you know, obviously in tears. And I, you know, I've never, like I said, I never spoke anywhere before. So this is my first time. So this is my first individual that I'm interacting with after I come off stage and, she said, um, I couldn't really look at her because I'm a very empathetic person. And um, she was in tears. And um, she said that, she said, thank you for speaking. She said, um, 
my son Jacob passed away five years ago. She said, I haven't slept in five years because he lost his battle five years ago and I haven't slept. But she mm. said tonight, mm. she said tonight, and, and I was tore up, man. Oh, man, because I've never heard anybody, you know, come on, man. Nobody ever told me anything like this. And But she said tonight, she said, I want you to look at me because I put my head down. And she said, I want, no, put your head up. I want you to look at me. She said, I want you to understand that tonight I'm going to sleep because I can better understand. Because of your story, I can better understand what Jacob was going through. It's like two things happened in that millisecond right after she said that. One, I realized that I wasn't alone in the world. And two, I realized it was so much bigger than me, man. It was so, I couldn't believe that the worst day of my life could ever give anybody hope or, or inspire anybody. And it just blew me away. It was like, I, I've never, that was the first mother, you know, I've had the opportunity to talk to not, if not hundreds, if not thousands of mothers now since, but she's the very first mother. And I'll never forget her because she, she gave me, she, she made me understand my purpose. And, you know, I still had a lot of stuff I had to do. That was in New York. That was May 7th, um, May 8th, 2013. And, you know, I flew back to New York. I still was living, I was in a bad relationship. I was still living a lie in a bad environment, bad friends. You know, I was literally preparing to die. You know, that was my preparing to die life. And, you know, I knew that I wasn't going to make it through that year. So every decision I had been making was in, in preparation to die. And, but I had gotten this new life about me and, you know, and New York just gave me a new life. And I got back to California and, I wanted to make changes. I didn't know what I needed to do or how I was going to do it. And it took me a couple of weeks and I literally had to change everything. And I tell people all the time, if you want to make sacrifices in your life, you're going to have to make the real sacrifices. You're going to have to deal with knowing that these sacrifices that I make it are for my better well-being. And I can't worry about what I'm giving up. I only can worry about what I'm, what I'm to gain. And I gained so much and I had to give up a lot. I had to give up a lot, man. You know, I was in a, a, a bad relationship. I had to change every environment, everything. But on May 21st, 2013, um, literally, which is 2,862 days ago, because I've been keeping track every day. May 21st, 2013 um, was the first day I woke up and I didn't want to die. Like, I didn't want to die. Like, so I was just like, whatever I did last night or whatever I did, I, I need to keep doing this. And so... I created, you know, certain things about myself. I started writing down certain goals. Um, I just did it, man. I, I I told myself that I wanted to live and I wanted to inspire people. Um, two months later, I was in People Magazine. Like, that's why I'm trying to tell people your life can change. If you want it to change, if you believe it to change, you have to do the necessary things and it can change. 2013, I was supposed to die. And I will literally was sitting on a... On, on, on a talk show with Steve Harvey look, inside of People Magazine. And the next week it was Men's Health. And the next week it was this news show. The next week, and it was just like, this the year I was supposed to die? I, I just couldn't believe the transformation. And it's been, it's been, it, 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 like, like I tell people, like, I'm still not out of it. I'm still in it. Every day has been a grind. I just came out of probably the hardest season of my life. A harder season that, that, that was harder than 2005 at the bridge. Like this season I've been in in my life has been harder. The pandemic season has been tough because I've been taken, the stage has been taken away from me. And, and, I, and, and I've, been, I've been resorting back to old ways and old habits. So I had to really press reset again and grind harder because I, have, I still have to realize that I have to implement things for myself and my own mental health well-being. So it's been a grind, man. But 
I'm grateful for every second of it, man, because it's preparing me for my future. It's preparing me for the things that I that I just can't see that I know that God has destined for me. Hey, quick break here. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but we'll get right back to it. Just want to know, are you looking to improve your health and fitness? Are you looking for a trainer to help you guide you along the way? We'll look no further. Check out Ruben Hernandez of Relentless Strength and Sports Performance. Ruben is a trainer whose purpose is to help you make positive changes in your lifestyle and improve your quality of life. His goal is to educate you on how simple changes in your daily habits can help you look and feel great. Ruben is an upcoming trainer who is passionate about helping you reach and achieve your goals. He is dedicated to making your training experience unique and specific to you. He specializes in functional movements, so whether you're looking to build muscle, lose weight, or improve your overall movement, he can help you do it all. He is located in the northern Sacramento area in his own private facility. You can check him out on Instagram at Ruben7Hernandez. Feel free to contact him through direct message or call him at 209-406-7028. Again, that's 209-406-7028. If you have any questions or to schedule your first session, mention Straight Talk with Straight Hand and receive 50% off. Yes, you heard it right, 50% off your first session. So what are you waiting for? Head on over and book your first session with Ruben and make sure to give him a follow on Instagram at Ruben 7 Hernandez. That's R-U-B-E-N, the number 7, H-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z on Instagram. Go change your life. Absolutely, man. Um, I love the testimony. It it shows literally everybody's life could go from tragic to magic just like that, you know, that that one split second, you know. Um, Little changes uh, done consistently um, can lead to the ultimate change, you know, that there's no, there's no, uh, that, that can't, that can't be turned over, you know, mm. uh, especially when you get the right, you know, right people in your life, you know, your, your faith, uh, you know, in, in God and, and, you know, just continuously having to work though. That's like the biggest thing, you know, even when it comes to being on these shows and, you know, having, you know, some, you know, success, uh, as you alluded to, it's still a grind every day. It's something that you 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 consistently have to you know work on. But uh, you know that being said, I mean your 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 story truly is inspiring. I mean it's encouraging. Um, I could definitely see um, you know seeing how a mother uh, being able to look you in the, you know you know look you you know in the eye and, and really you know let you, you know really uh, you know share with you you know that you know intimate moment you know where she would be able to really get some rest based on that, you know, really seeing what, what was going through her son, th- what was going on with her son through you, you know, mm-hmm. that's powerful, mm-hmm. Kevin, that's powerful, man. I mean, that's, uh, I could definitely see how, you know, where, you know, where the passion would come from, you know, um, you, and, and, and like I said, your, your, your story is, is, is truly amazing. Um, and it, it, it's good to hear the, you know, the backstory behind it and everything else. And you know where you're at currently, but I I already know. In fact, we're gonna get into, uh, you know, before you know, before we close off here, we get into you know what's currently going on with your foundation, and you know what your what you know the really the positive impact you're you're able to make you know currently, and you know, and also what's going on with you you know present day, uh, you know, but I I know for sure without a doubt you know, uh, the best of Kevin you know Berthea no one has seen yet you know, uh. Let me ask you this. So I know recently, uh, you know, you, you and I, you know, talk, I believe like maybe like a couple weeks ago, a month ago, but you've been able to, you know, go full time now with your foundation. 
and you know it being a great blessing and opportunity you know for you to you know speak in front of different groups you know large and small different outlets and really impact people by sharing your story and you know i can definitely see firsthand even through this uh through this uh you know episode on on, on how how that is to be honest with you so talk to me a little bit about you know what you know kevin berthia you know current day um, you know, I, I know, you know, the, you know, the family man that you are, I know you, you know, you have a, you know, your daughter's birthday is coming up here, here shortly, but talk to me about, you know, what, you know, what you have going on currently, you know, with the foundation as well as your, you know, just personal life. Oh yeah. Okay. So, uh, yeah. Um, I've had to, over the last five years, I've been, I, I, I've been, had the privilege of traveling and being able to just tell my story. Um, you know, people want have have literally sought me out to literally just like when I go places, I tell them this story. Like that's it. I don't I don't talk about mental health. I don't talk about um, statistics. I mean, you know, I literally go and I tell them this story, and it's remarkable to me to know that um, this story has been able to reach so many people. And in that, and going so many people and and talking to so many people. And, and 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 just listening to what God has instilled in me in my own um, heart, um, I, I told myself it's been harping on me in 2016 that I wanted to create something that I, that I wanted something out there that I couldn't find, and um, it's just been on my heart to create it, and that's what I that's what I knew I had to do. Um, I have in my heart what I know I need, what I what I think I believe can literally change the dynamics of how our loved ones are treated um, and how they're treated in the mental health world and how they're treated in the, in the disconnect in that is why we are failing um, um, people. We're failing as, 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 as a humanity because we are losing um, so many at, at an alarming rate, um, one every 40 seconds. And not to mention for the one that we lose, the 300 that, attempt are the 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 500 that think about attempting see the numbers are astronomical when you break them down and you think about them that we steadily don't have a, a system in, in 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 place to handle the well-being of people feeling like they're alone in a world that consists of eight billion people and it just it, it blows me away and that's why I created the foundation because the foundation is going to be just that a foundation that that really um, really merges and, and helps people understand how important mental health is and how important we really really have to be there for each other um, you know it's to give those it's to give the people that really don't have a voice uh, that really that voice of hope like you know and I tell people all the time, there's so many people in the world that are struggling. Then I had to stop and I say, let me change that. Because we always say there's so many people in the world that are struggling. But we need to be honest and say, everybody in the world is struggling. That's right. We just, we just all mask it differently. And I think that if once we be honest and, and, and deal with that, see, the hitting type of, of us saying that some people struggle with, that lets us believe that everybody's not struggling. And that lets us have a, have a belief that, that, that somebody's better than us because they're not dealing. No, 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 no. Everybody in the world is struggling. Their struggle is, is, is not like your struggle, but it's still a struggle. And at that, we, as long as we don't identify that and, and go away from it, you know, 
it, it, it changes the complexions of, of makes people feel alone because we're not. It's not nothing in nobody has been through in their life that nobody else in the world has been through. Somebody somewhere in the world is going through exactly what you're going through. But because we, 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 we feel so isolated, because we feel so alone, because we don't talk about it, it makes us feel like we're the only person going through it and it's not. So the foundation is going to definitely change the dynamics of how we deal with mental health in this country. Um, um, I, 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 you know, I envision a lighthouse and that's why my symbol is a lighthouse because I believe that we have to shine the light and really literally be that, be that force and make people understand that we got to start making the necessary, um, talks. We got to start, we got to start keeping things in front of us. We got to start making people believe that we, that, that we really do care. And we're not just telling them what needs to be said just to get them out of our face. No, we care about you. You are valuable. And I, I, that's all it is, man. I, I'm literally, my heart is, 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 my God gave me a heart that's bigger than my body. And that's why I know I had to, I had to, I have to pour it into something that I know that, that humanity can benefit from. And that's all the foundation is. That's beautiful, man. So, uh, you know, what type of, you know, uh, different, you know, it, it, it is the foundation itself what, what what you know what type of venues are you planning on doing what type of you know uh right now, programs yeah good right now right now i am i am in trying to implement some things um right now and work with i've been to enough places to where i've met clinicians i've met doctors i've met all these different people that i know that in my heart that if i really put together devise a plan that they would ultimately come work for me if i really I, I want to create something to where people, I'm tired of watching our loved ones get the runaround. I'm tired of seeing, watching our loved ones go, go one place for medicine, one place for therapy, one place for this, one place for this, one place for that. We losing, we're losing them in as in the transitions of going to all these different places. And I feel like we need a place where they're comfortable, not only sharing, but where they can go somewhere after they sharing and, and the right people are on the right page. This, this, this doctor can talk to this person in the same building like it's no, it's no, it's nothing. It's no loophole, and I think that the loophole happens from from the time we open up to whoever we open up to. They talk to a different person that prescribes medication. They talk to a different person that 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 does that. I mean, it's all too many different people, and we all got to be on one accord. And that's where, like, the 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 vision is huge, and I know that. But somebody, I gotta have a, I gotta have a huge vision. I gotta have something that scares me. I, it's gotta be bigger than me because I know God, I have His hand all the way in it. So. It's definitely, um, you know, um, some things that I'm working on. Like I said, I just started um, uh, March 4th, um, really working full time on this. And it's so much work that has to be done. So um, it, it's, you know, I, I'm getting a lot of people that's volunteering. I'm getting a lot of help. So we're definitely going to try to get up and running and get the things that I need to do in a year, in a, in a year or so plan and really just get some programs, get a building, um, yeah, a lot of big things, man. A lot of big things. A lot of big things. Just, you know, right now, just outreach. Right now, the foundation is just total outreach, spreading the branches of, of hope, making people understand that, that you know, I want to give people a platform that they can tell their story. So right now, we're just we're just outreaching. We're just building a platform, building a foundation for the foundation right now. And in that, we'll, we'll take from there and, and we'll open up the next door that God gives us. Absolutely. Let me ask you this then. I mean, I don't want to be redundant, but the, one last question I want to ask. So, you know, real specific, you know, because I, you know, I definitely believe in speaking life uh, into everything that we desire, especially, I mean, uh, 
you know, something when it comes to of this magnitude, what's the ultimate vision do you have though for yourself and this foundation, just say in the next one, you know, one to three years? I want, I want to least, um, I want to at least be able to challenge um, some laws that we have um, in the White House. I least, I, I honestly, realistically, I want to change uh, the questions that we ask um, our loved ones, um, you know, when they're in this mental capacity, capacity state. Um, I literally want to not, not, not no 10 years, 20 years, like in the next couple of years, next year or two. And I know that's a lot, but I have to set a big goal. I have to set a big goal. The, is everything okay? The, 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 the mandatory questions that all these, the questions that do not connect with our individuals, that's my realistic goal is really just figure out what can be done, what phone calls I need to make to really just implement and get laws changed. So where we are asking the right questions when our loved ones are in distress. Absolutely, man. And, and you know, from someone that has uh, went through what you went through, lived out the testimony that you had, uh, you know, you, you are beyond qualified to, you know, identify which questions and, and the process that's going to, you know, help uh, really make some changes, really make some changes and not just, you know, you know, follow the, the blueprint that, you know, has been followed for years, which, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, let's just based off the numbers that's out there, it's not working, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I definitely, you know, I definitely am excited to see, you know, uh, what God's plans is for you and the foundation and, uh, and literally the hundreds of thousands of uh, individuals that's going to forever have their lives change, um, you know, all because of, of your work, your testimony, and, you know, and God's grace, you know, on your life, you know, like, like you had mentioned that to me is just, I mean, every time I say it, it's just mind blowing that 22, you know, attempts, uh, you know, uh, to, to take your life and, and, and the Lord wasn't ready to take you home, brother. You know, he, he, he said, yeah, you have some more work. You have, you have yeah, some yeah. more work. You have some more work uh, here on earth. And uh, obviously, you you have uh, yeah. you know hundreds of thousands of more individuals that need to hear your story, man. And that's so, the thing, man. And that's the thing. Nobody can do what I do, and because it's my purpose. If I would have left this earth, it would have left this big void void in the earth. And that's what people got. When people's when people tell themselves that they that they're not valuable, you have to realize that you have a purpose. It, whether you found it or not you have a purpose and that purpose has to be fulfilled. And without it being fulfilled, it makes the, the void of the world bigger and bigger. The reason why the world is the way it is because the people are leaving without their purpose being fulfilled. We, I, I need you here. You're valuable. Like nobody can do what I do. Nobody can connect with people. Like I connect with people because that's my gift to the world. No, but nobody can do what I do because I, they can't do it the way I do it because God put it in me. So it's just something about, who you are, God did something for you that only only you can do. There's nobody else in the world can do what you do. So you, you just just be in mind for that. Um, just wanted to say that. And I appreciate I appreciate the time, man. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, any other time I can really just share, you give me a platform. I appreciate it, man. No, you got it, you know, Kevin. And you know what I love uh, about that last statement is, uh, you know, when you when you speak with purpose and conviction, like, 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 you know, uh, like you do, because obviously now things are a lot clearer for you 
it's just really it's just really amazing that what could be done man but uh you know before i you know shout out your handles and how everybody could get you know get, get a hold of you i just want to you know just genuinely thank you again for making the time for being on the podcast and, and you know and being a guest today definitely honored to, to have you on the straight talk with straight hand podcast brother appreciate you man all love all right man well listen uh, you know, definitely want to thank Kevin again for being on the show. If you want to continue following his journey, uh, you could his IG handle is at, at underscore grateful at underscore grateful. You could also uh, follow the foundation at Kevin Berthia Foundation. Let me spell that out for you, Kevin. Last name B E R T H I A Foundation. Uh, that's the IG handle, Kevin uh, Berthia Foundation. And then if you uh, also you can go to his website at Kevin Berthia Foundation dot org, Kevin Berthia uh, Foundation dot org to, you know, to keep tabs, uh, you know, to obviously if there's anybody, you know, uh, which I know we all do, uh, that, 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 that could, could obviously use, uh, you know, to cheer his story, use his services and, and everything else that, you know, that he's going to be able to provide, uh, definitely, you know, uh, you know, hand, hand out those handles. Uh, but I just want to thank everybody uh, for joining me for another straight talk with straight hand, continue having a blessed day guys. God bless. Thanks for tuning in to another Straight Talk with Straight Hand Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, click the subscribe button and make sure to follow him on Instagram at Straight Hand, S-T-R-A-Y-H-A-N-D. And we will catch you on the next episode.